recognizing it. So should the church just quit teaching the Christian worldview altogether? How can you even recognize a Christian worldview in the world? Welcome to Kingdom of the Lagos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. And I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Anthony Alegria. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And we are, again, clergy in the Church of the Nazarene, but we do want to open up by saying remember to be faithful to your local congregation to be supporting your local church. And today in our conversation, we're going to be talking about the Christian worldview and how you recognize it. Because many times people adopt a secular worldview without even being aware that they've done such. This is something which was pointed out by Brother John Mills here at Jolton. And this is something which is really important for us to work on. The God of one's life is that which directs their moral compass. However, it is often difficult to tell what it is that is directing one's moral compass. A lot of times people aren't even aware of the worldview that they may have. So today we have four ways to tell if you have a Christian worldview. So the first one, and we're going to go around our studio, Cord Purgatory, and we're going to have a discussion about this. Number one, are you interested in your truth or the truth? And that's truth with a capital T. So Pastor Amanda, what about this? Are you interested in your truth or the truth as a way of figuring out the worldview? Right. And so this is um, the topic of truth is always quite interesting to have because there's something a lot deeper like sometimes we have to parse out opinions versus truth and and which is also an interesting thing um but to go deeper into when we say truth we mean kind of really beyond like facts it's more than just you know do you believe the earth is round um you know not a flat earth or do you believe that yeah the the sun is the center of our solar system but we're moving beyond this facts into really what is your core of being what is it your core of being rest on and is that upon your perceptions your ideas or maybe even though we might expand them beyond yourself and say you know maybe culture uh, your cultures or um, various structures or systems or organizations but really is it founded in the truth then of course when we say truth with a capital t we're referring to um to god yahweh um and and especially in uh how god reveals god's self uh, through Jesus Christ. Pastor Mike, in the world, there is a, a popular mode of thinking that says some people have special knowledge and their truth is more valuable than anyone else's. This has been popular for a long time. You find a lot of heresies in the church where they say, ah, those people, they have a special hidden knowledge about them and they know something better than the rest of us. And we can never do anything to do that. But that's not really what the gospel teaches us, is it? That certain people would have some better knowledge than everyone else. In fact, I think we're taught something a little different. I think you see many times where people um, feel like they're in a closer relationship with God, so they must have that special knowledge. But the truth of the gospel is that God is king in the person of Jesus and um, the, the second person of the Trinity. And, and uh, so we see uh, that very name, Messiah or Christ, meaning that, that he is the king. But unfortunately, you're exactly right, Dylan, you see that that some people think, well, you know, that this person's holier because uh, perhaps maybe um, something that they they have studied, maybe they've been uh, a Christian a longer time, or maybe um, there's some type of gift, uh, whether it be singing or or different different gifts that they seem to be, you know, in a closer relationship. But that's not hidden knowledge. But there is that that um, uh, I guess the lie of the devil of some type of, of hidden knowledge that makes you a closer or a better Christian, so to speak. Yeah, Anthony, what are your thoughts? Within, with each of these 
with each of these parts of this list, there comes a certain attitude and like sides of a coin. And so, you know, your truth versus the truth, we can see different sides of a coin. People who are concerned with your truth, it's it really is sort of like Cain and Abel. We've been talking about that a lot. But, um, you know, everything that you know to be right is automatically right. And what is justifiable by your own faculties, that's good enough. Whereas people who are concerned with their with the truth, not their truth, but the truth, they know that they're not enough necessarily to understand everything about the world. They're willing to have some faith for um, what they're doing in life and their pursuit of God. And there's a saying, fetus quarn intellectum, faith in order to understand. And if you're concerned with the truth, you're not going to conform God and conform the church to your own reason. You're going to conform your reason to God. And so that's something very interesting and not necessarily, you can't just tell it by thinking about your truth and the truth because everybody is going to look at this and say, oh yeah, I'm concerned with the truth. But if you are, then you approach the world with a spirit of curiosity and faith, not simply just confidence in what you think. Yeah. And, and building off this conversation a little bit, I want to take this in a different direction. I know Pastor Micah talked about a lot of people may say, well, that person has a holy relationship. This is not necessarily something which is always con connected to faith. There's a lot of reasons somebody might have a superficial reason. Maybe you like the way a person looks more or something like that. And you say, oh, well, that person must be closer to the truth. If you start making truth, something which is contingent on the people carrying the truth. And even accusations against the church, well, Christianity can never be real because they're hypocrites in the church. Well, it's like, well, hold up, hold up a second. The Christian worldview doesn't say that truth is contingent on, on the people carrying it. it is, truth is part of, you know, the nature of God. You know, John 14, 6 has this whole notion that Jesus comes and says, I am the truth, the way and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you know me, you will know my father also. And if now on, you do know him and have seen him. If I can get that out, everything's going a little crazy. Um, there is this idea, though, that if you actually are pursuing truth, you will recognize that it does not rest on the shoulders of, of humanity. And that's sort of built into the Christian worldview, that none of us, no one here in this room, no one out there listening to this that is a human being, is the one that truth rests on. It rests on Christ Jesus, one who is fully God and fully human that come to to bless creation. Um, Pastor Mike, I know you had some other thoughts. Well, I think, you know, there's, we should always distinguish the difference between what we're saying is knowledge and hidden knowledge or special knowledge. I mean, we're called to learn and we're also called to teach one another. Yeah. But when, when it becomes a place where someone seems to think that they're... Um, that arrogant and have special knowledge and they're the gatekeeper of that knowledge then you're definitely in the round uh, the the area of idolatry I would say so I mean there's always that humbleness that um, let me see you know you know of knowledge and learning but even those who who have great knowledge can share that in a way that doesn't seem to be special, but it just saying, hey, this is good stuff. Let me share it with you. Yeah. Pastor Amanda? Yeah. And I think um, in a little bit, we, we had under some other points of talking about excommunication, but I think it fits really well in here as well, is the fact that there, there is the, the call of the church and humanity to judge, actually, to, to, to and not be judgmental in the sense of condemnation, 
but but to look at life and to look at the world and, and make an evaluation. However, that evaluation is not based on the churches or church leaders or, or, or really anybody's own personal philosophy of life. It's based on the character and nature of God. And I think that's then that helps us to kind of differentiate between, again, your truth and the truth or anyone's truth and the truth. Um, truth versus um, kind of opinion or or. or or ideas or, or anything like that, it is all of us have a way of differentiating and looking at the world. We all make judgment calls, but how? what is the basis of, the, of those judgments? And, and I think whether it is in the world outside the church or the world inside the church, sometimes we can very easily fall on our own wisdom. And this is really the beginning of idolatry. This is the, 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 the first sin in, in the Garden of Eden is Adam and Eve thinking, that fruit looks good for food, for nourishment, for life, for blessing. And we're going to decide instead of trusting God to tell us what is good and bad, we're going to make that decision for ourselves. And and that can be really, again, easy for, for all of us to fall into because it's our logic. It's our thought process. And so we can kind of rely on ourselves and feel good about it. But actually searching after God's will and, and God's plan for our lives this is a little bit complex. And often God's call puts us in places we'd rather not go. Um, so I, I think I say all this to say I, I, it's it's a very easy, I guess, temptation to fall into because there really is this call for the truth that, that's more than just do you have all your facts straight? And that may be part of it. And I'm not, you know, saying we shouldn't be, you know, scientific and logical, but it goes so much beyond that into this. Are you willing to let your life be consumed uh, by the very nature and character of God. Yeah, and when it comes to to the question of the truth, a lot of people say, well, oh, isn't Christianity against ration and reasonality? And this turns into like a science versus religion thing, which that's not at all what we're, we're talking right. about here. Because even in true science, you say, it's not contingent upon the person that discovers it because it's, it's reliable, you can reproduce it. There is a truth which does not depend on the interpreter. It is, it is beyond that. It is transcendental. It is overarching. It's not contingent on, on the observer. And that really is what we're saying. Does, does the worldview say that there is a truth which doesn't just rest on my shoulders? It doesn't rest on a specific tribe. It doesn't rest on a specific superficial characteristics, but it's just true. And that is very important to the Christian worldview. All right. So the next point that we have, so we're going on to point number two. One was your truth or the truth. Number two is born again or made in your own image. Is your identity found in Christ or something else? Now, when we come to something like the Gospel of John, and I love the Johannine literature, Gospel of John chapter 3 verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I tell you, you must be born from above. And there's this idea that says your identity, it is found in Christ. Not any worldly tribe, not any worldly kingdom, but in Christ. It is something which is, again, it's it's something of a, a origin which is beyond our, our parameters of our world around us. We can't really reach it. So like in Genesis, the goodness of God is put in the heavens before it is on the earth. It is something beyond the reach where humanity can go and control it. That is where one's identity should be found. And, and as Christians, we look to the world and we, we should recognize this question of born again or just made in one's own image. Amanda, what do you think about this? Well, I think this is interesting, especially um, in this passage, just talking about, you know, what is born of the flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. And, and the reason I find this so interesting, I think a lot of times we, we segment ourselves out. Um, we try to parse out like, 
um, you know, the and you even see this in the early church with Gnosticism, flesh and, and, and physical things are bad and the spiritual things are good and, and almost create this false dichotomy within humanity. And so then we also, you know, several hundreds of years even after Gnosticism, you have this language of to err as human. Like this is the acceptable image that we are or maybe the the baseline for humanity is this this broken um devolved creature uh, that just is perpetually sinning and although that is what often we choose to be um that is not actually the baseline we were created in the image of god the original created image that is inside all of us is wholeness and completeness and holiness um and so often this is why it's born again is we were originally created to be in the image of god and we that was broken because of our own selfishness, but now we have this chance to be renewed back into that original image. And so often, however, when we try to recreate ourselves or, or um, kind of like, you know, a New Year's resolution, we try to make ourselves better, often that image we're scraping for is just more, it ends up actually being more brokenness instead of more healing. And so we find in this passage and continuing in it is this idea that there's going to be wholeness, even in the flesh, even in the very physical and, and the bodily. Um, and this is also then we get to look forward to, to a real bodily resurrection as God is redeeming all of the world. And it is through this recreation uh, that is happening, but we have to be willing participants in it. Pastor Mike, in our modern world, it is very popular for people to talk a lot about what people look like. They play identity politics on a lot of different levels. And that is something which even trickles into the church. And people lose the orthodox lens that says, what does one's relationship look like to God? Oh, absolutely. And and the, in the early church, there this debate was going on. You know, Amanda's talking about they had these debates over flesh, spirit. You know, is your flesh ordered right to be Christian? You know, people have all these questions. But ultimately, the message we get from Scripture, the message that, that Christ comes to people, even when Christ is coming to Nicodemus there in John 3, is that those fleshly matters are just that. They're fleshly matters. What is of spirit is that which uh, is of great importance. And when Christians should look in the world, the Christian world, you should say, is one born again or are they separated from God? And what can we do to bring people to God? Talk to me a little bit about all of this, Pastor Mike. Well, it's very, there's a big difference between just being religious and being born again. So people could uh, obviously be part of a congregation, a church, and not experience that uh, born again regeneration of Christ Jesus and that is a transformation you are no longer uh, find your identity in any of these other things but you find your identity in Christ in Christ alone so you will you will you still be of the flesh but this new spirit that comes it is that truth that pastor Amanda was talking about that that lives not only in your life but it directs your life that doesn't mean you're going to have to um, just automatically go there. You're going to, you're going to have to uh, respond to the Spirit and you're going to have to pursue this life and this truth just like um, um, a, a, a baby pursues to grow. So yes, absolutely there is a big difference. So all of these politics, these uh, you know, people come with identity politics, but it is that that regenerating born-again Spirit that comes and gives us hope and new life and where we can live a life of love and uh, growth and appreciation and hope. Yeah, and a good understanding of hell is this eternal separation from God. 
And you know, that is a suffering which creates a perpetual decay. Anthony, when you look at this, what, what comes to your mind, this whole idea of being born again and the Christians would say, hey, people are separated from God and I want to bring them closer to God? Um, well, I think our modern culture presents a huge, huge stumbling block for a lot of people because there's such an identification with your flesh. And, you know, for instance, specifically race, sexual interests, age, all sorts of things um are what people today prefer to identify themselves with and it, we've talked about it before but this is you can really see this in how people respond to what is your identity that question whenever it comes to people's mind does not inspire things like okay well my identity is that of noble character or i am uh one to be found in christ i'm born again a lot of times people associate their identity with things of racial or even sexual interest. And I think that is a huge, huge stumbling block that need that people need help um, removing so that then they can see that they can be born again into the body of Christ, which we know there is um, neither Scythian nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, but all are one. All righty. And going on to the third point we have um, is this idea of are you aspiring or entitled? The, the Christian worldview of being aspiring towards holiness or or entitled, where one does not even have to repent or feel anything. Uh, Pastor Mike, I think you had something on the, the last topic before we get into aspiring or entitled. Well, you know, I think the before you even go to aspire or, or entitled, I think there is that whole understanding of when you are being regenerated that the Holy Spirit not only regenerates you, but it, it convicts convinces you of that sin that has been going on in your life, whether it be idolatry or where you're find, finding identity and, you know, whatever. Um, and it, it may not even be a bad thing that you find your your identity in. But once you are con convinced that, you know, this is the a, a change that you are now living in, there should be a remorse. Yeah. And that, again, penance and remorse, they, they, they're kind of a, I wouldn't say they're exactly interchangeable, but they're closely related words. So this remorse feeling and repentance comes and you find yourself uh, not being saved by works, being saved by God, and then pursuing that life that is Christ-like. Yeah, people are probably going to think that our program is just super all over the place today. I messed up a, a reading. We, the way our studio is set up, I can kind of put some a few things in front of me. I messed the, the scripture up and then going everywhere. Anyways, on to aspiring your entitled, which actually is a good segue from that. Um, are you aspiring towards holiness or do you feel entitled to mercy? I know there's this notion of cheap grace that, that it's so easy. I don't have any standards. There's no bad consequences from action. You know, if I, if I did something sinful, I confess it. And you know, I'm entitled to, to God's forgiveness. This mentality that says, I don't actually have to pursue anything great. I don't have to aspire for anything, but I'm just entitled to it. Um, Pastor Amanda, talk to us a little bit about this and how essential it is in the Christian worldview, not to fall into the, the trap. Well, yeah, and, and again, I think this one's really, uh, well, we're talking about all of these because I think they are difficult. Um, and we see this this call to aspiration, to, to moving forward, to, to transformation. Again, it's not an easy thing. And I'm not saying that God calls us to hard things just simply because, uh, you know, God wants us to have difficult lives or anything like that. But uh, there, there's something quite true about looking at our world and saying that the easy path is just kind of to sit back and say, you know, I demand what I want. I demand 
you know, everything on my salvation on my terms, that, that I can find healing and wholeness in the ways I want to feel whole and, and, and saved. And, and really what God is calling us towards is something quite different and, and really different and holy and, and strange and difficult. Um, and, and it's the beautiful in the sense of then as we are called to all these strange and weird and hard places, we, we can find that we can just we experience things we couldn't have experienced if we were simply just sitting back and, and wanting things on our terms and our ways. Because again, going back to the, the your truth or the truth, it is if we do things in our own wisdom, I mean, we've got 66 books of the Bible that tells us how that ends quite horribly um, when humanity decides to trust in itself. And so we, we see even now, so it, again, this can be tricky because we slip into it because um, sometimes we say, well, I'm a part of, you know, this community or I go to this church and I believe in, in this doctrine. And I'm not picking on any of those things, but sometimes we start putting our faith in those things and those structures than actually what those things and structures were supposed to point us towards, which is the wholeness in God. Um, and it, it is an, an aspiration in the sense that it's a continual journey. I mean, we definitely believe that there's a point in time where you come and you ask for forgiveness and you experience God's salvation. And there's another point in time where you ask to be completely and entirely sanctified, set apart for God's purpose. Um, but those are not the only two points where you experience God's grace, that um, you get to experience it every day if you are allowing God to continue, continually transform you. All right, Pastor Mike, when it comes to the topic of gratitude and mercy, again, this this question of recognizing a Christian worldview as aspiring towards holiness as opposed to the secular worldview, which is kind of entitled to any sort of mercy, you know, starting from a place of gratitude is really quite important. Um, Pastor Mike, talk to us a little bit about gratitude and mercy. Well, you know, I think if mercy is ever... Um, abused it can be abused you can you can receive mercy but then all of a sudden when mercy and and the, you're just not grotted you know grateful for it that it just becomes uh, something that is expected then there's an abuse of receiving the mercy um, and it can slip in anywhere it can even slip in this little studio because I was raising my hand that's where it's set up around here I had something I wanted to say and I wanted to say and I kept raising my hand raising my hand and then all of a sudden it said we're gonna move on to the next segment and that is where the immature Christian uh, the immaturity on my part slipped in and I and since we're not supposed to talk I reach over and stick my tongue out <laughs> at uh, Dylan and let him know I didn't, I didn't get to say what I wanted to say. And so like, you know, even though there's been, it's just, you know, it's mercy that y'all and, and a gift to me to let me even be on here, I feel like sometimes, but then something about my inner self said, I've got something that I have to say. And as I did that, then I looked later at the outline and I was supposed to, you know, that's where it goes later. And, you know, I think that is where confession and as I'm doing now you know I, I was convicted by the Holy Spirit that was very um, wrong for me to do and so I confess but I feel that that place where you know I shouldn't have done that a little remorseful so it's okay to say that and and receive um, mercy uh, hopefully um, not only from God but from you guys and then we, that is what we call forgiveness and moving forward. However, if I just say that out of the, you know, well, I'll just say that and move on and not really mean it and just expect it, 
then that is the abuse of that. So, yeah. uh, Well, Anthony, what do you think about the notion that some people, they don't have gratitude for what comes in life, but they kind of feel like they're entitled to the mercy? Um, I think it, Romans 6, the opening of it, poses a very uh, relevant question. And so it's kind of funny that we're looking at Romans 12. But one of the first questions in the opening of Romans 6 is this. My brothers and sisters, might we sin more so that then we can participate in even greater and greater grace? Paul's basically asking the Romans, should we sin more so that then the grace of Christ, the grace of Christ's forgiveness, is made even greater? And then later, the logic follows, no, absolutely not, because the grace of his forgiveness is not so that we might sin, but so that we can be released and liberated from the oppression and captivity of sin. And so... I think in many ways that expresses that that's a statement toward those who have become entitled with their forgiveness those who have been forgiven and have not yet repented um and that would be my response on that all right pastor man i know you had brought up uh, romans 12 when we were getting ready for the show today yeah and and so um i kind of want to preference it with the story i, I know we, we can't talk forever but um i was sharing with especially in this idea of this theme of aspiring versus entitled sharing a story about my great-grandfather who was a minister during the Great Depression and then, uh, well, Prohibition, Great Depression, through World War II and then later on. And he lived this life of this of ministry and really aspiring to holiness and old holiness and, and just all the wonderful things that come with, with that kind of era of preaching and, and ministry. And he, he goes into speakeasies and he begins to proclaim this message of really costly grace, to use Bonhoeffer's language, um, but this this grace that calls us to, to more than just simply being where where we were left when we when we found God or when we allowed God to find us or however the right way to say that is. But anyways, and, and he ticks off so many people eventually that one of them decides he is tired of this preacher going around to the speakeasies talking about holiness, talking about transformation, and so he decides to shoot him. Um, but the bullet actually is stopped uh, by my great-grandfather's Bible, and it stops at this verse, Romans 12, which uh, the first verse says as follows, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. And and I think that's just as we look into these different this is so that story I think so beautifully exemplifies what does it mean for grace truly to inspire us and for us to aspire to be more and more like Christ more and more like who God created us to be and it is that there's this call to transformation and, and it moves us into difficult places but I know I've said that several times almost at every point so far and I'll probably say it again at the fourth point but I mean can you imagine what would happen if my you know great-grandfather had decided well you know what I got shot at or people are mad at me I'm gonna give up and, and lean back on this cheap grace because you know he experienced salvation obviously entire sanctification he's a minister of the gospel you know go find the easy church and the easy places to proclaim claim the good news because you know why not and instead, he hears this call to be more than, than what the world has told him he should be. And it ends up having this fantastic story and life of ministry that has inspired beyond hundreds of people in several generations. And, and that, that's not to say that we, this idea of perfect, how we conclude uh, Romans 12 too, with this idea of God's perfect will, it doesn't always mean that 
we don't make mistakes, but somehow we can be so transformed into the image of God that that we don't have to fall into brokenness. Yeah, and that is unmistakably the call that we have to be aspiring up. And I want us to segue now into our fourth point, which is essentially what you were telling them in that story, and even hearing what your your ancestors would do, someone back through prohibition, they're pursuing good rather than pursuing evil. And in the third epistle of John, the only chapter of it, verse 11, reads, Beloved, do not imitate that which is evil, but imitate what is good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. There's this idea that we should move towards what is good and not towards what is evil. Pastor Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, I think Amanda's story about her great-grandfather is extremely important, and uh, there's more to that story. I let her share it, but I mean, if you go on a little further in Romans, uh, Romans it talks about vengeance is the Lord's; He will repay. And uh, for us to, you know, if they thirst or if they're hungry, you know, to feed them, to give them a drink of water, and uh, you know, I think the the beautiful part was he could he had every opportunity uh, to to just say, hey, I have nothing to do with this man or his family, and uh, but in fact, I'd like to hear Pastor Amanda finished the story uh, about the pursuit of goodness and not just saying, hey, you know, God just didn't say, hey, that's it. There's a lot more to that. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, yes. Yeah, so the, the, and, and I had always heard that first part of the story growing up. And that, that also going in with this pursuing good and pursuing evil is is um, everything turned into a teaching moment in my household. And, and not just because my mom is an educator by trade, uh, that I think that fed into it. But, but somehow, no matter what you did, it, it turned, there was a story that had to be told. And often that was a, a very popular story that was told. But I had, in, in reading some of my great grandfather's sermons, I, I heard the rest of the story. And apparently he knew who shot him. Um, and, and because of some corruption in that city, uh, the man was never convicted or tried. And but my great grandfather made a point of, of every time he saw this man out in the neighborhood or walking around, he would say, you know, God bless you, brother. How are you doing, brother? And just just loving on him. And, and the man was ticked off and would curse at him back. And yet still, my great grandfather would pursue this, this good pursuing wholeness and, and, and reconciliation, even if the man didn't want it. Um, eventually, the man would commit suicide. But right before he did, he told his son, if if anything happens to me, make sure that preacher, which is funny, like make sure the preacher that ticks me off so bad that I cuss at every time I see him, make sure that's the preacher that does my funeral. And because of that, my great grandfather was able to then speak hope and peace into that, the son of the man who shot my great grandmother, into that man's life and into the life of his family and, and several hundred people in that community. And, and so if we are pursuing good, and not, again, an evil kind of is one of those good and evil are words that get thrown around a lot and we don't really tie good definitions to them. We kind of use them as we will, kind of going back to, you know, your truth versus um, the truth. But really this pursuit of good is this pursuit of blessing, of life giving. And sometimes that asks of us, it asks of our lives, of our well-being, but it will always be in the pursuit of wholeness and life and life abundantly. Yeah, as we, we come back to this, I want to, to direct this a little bit towards Anthony. There are a lot of people in our world who will say, well, I, I may be doing something which we're, we're told not to do, but I, I have a good intention for it. You know, I, I'm at a moment I'm going to, to, to be able to, to help the world. I'm going to, to help someone who may be oppressed or victimized. Yeah, I'm going to do something bad or I'm going to use tactics that are evil, but, but I'm doing it because I, I, I think I have good intentions. 
But yet we find that these things are all ultimately what corrupts souls. Um, we must always be people who imitate that which is good, people who are pursuing good and holiness and not those that are pursuing evil. Anthony, what are your thoughts about those who might say they are doing evil but with good intention? Um, well, it's a little oxymoronic, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I will say that sort of touches... I guess the your truth versus the truth is an important uh, distinction to make for this distinction also, pursuing good and pursuing evil, because I suppose that would be pursuing your truth, and it's a huge mistake to make. Um, the rest of those other actions which are considered evil that you believe you're doing in the name of good will ultimately be in the name of what is evil. And I think there's not a lot of rationale to convince someone of that and i mean even whenever you look through history you can see these patterns developing but you really can't concretely prove it with the rationale which is why it sort of is a question of your truth versus the truth and where you place your faith and if you place your faith in christ then you can know that the uh ends do not justify the means and you know to do evil to get good is never going to actually work out and that's not what christ teaches us to do and that's something we uh have to and really should be excited to accept on faith you know one of the things that i was sold on when i was in university is that if you'll give a good reasonable rationalized sermon that people will just come and grow droves to the church it's not true and and you know, we, we live in this world where we say, oh, yes, the Socratic method, it takes the end of the day where you give reasoned arguments and people are moved by it. It's just fundamentally not true. Uh, people are moved a lot more by conviction than they are by their minds. People's hearts have a lot more power than their minds do. Whenever the battle comes between the heart and the mind, almost always the heart wins. It takes a lot of wisdom and, and you know, discretion to be able to actually let your logical side do more than what your, your heart desires. And when it comes to this idea of, of your truth versus the truth, we live in a world where the idea of your instantaneous truth, not even like a, a long delayed gratification truth that someone might find, but just the, the instantaneous moment is something which is saying, oh yeah, that's fully valid and, and reject anything which wants to pull you away from that. You know, remake the image into yourself and make the world conform to that. This idea of you don't have to pursue a transcendental good, but pursue whatever you desire. And if you're doing evil for a little while, well, that's okay. You know, don't, don't aspire for anything because you're, you're entitled to all this goodness in life. Well, no. The Christian worldview says one should start with gratitude because we, we live in a fallen world and we're fallen. And the mercy and grace that God gives us came at a very high price. And we ourselves, we should be very appreciative of that. We should have remorse when we fall short, but we should also be aspiring to the holiness which God has called us to. We should be always working towards that. We should be pursuing that which is good. We should be pursuing the Christ-likeness which we are called to. And these are all fundamental aspects of the Christian worldview. And now again, we put this together just as a little bit of a list and to, to help us understand how do we recognize a Christian worldview and recognize that it's not something that we should throw away. Many of the issues that people talk about in the modern church life and the things where people say, oh, well, we're going to lose a generation if we don't solve this problem. I find that almost none of that is true. Um, I find that most of it can be sorted out by hashing out the real points of Christian orthodoxy, getting back to a worldview that is centered around Christ. People are going to come together a lot better than playing the games that the secular world wants us to play. 
So we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Anthony, do you have something you want to say? We'll get to our final thoughts <laughs> and comments before our make sure all our hearts and minds are clear. Anthony? Well, I just wanted to play off that and say that it's kind of interesting how that is working out. If you're wanting to change something fundamental about the church towards the world, odds are you're doing it for people who have the mindsets of the world anyways. And then the war is already lost. Yeah. You know, you've not only are you sacrificing what is good, which is whatever uh, fundamental nature of the church that you're trying to change, but you're also sacrificing it for something that isn't real. You don't really have the hearts and minds of people who are going to abandon the church for um, the wrong reasons. You know, I guess there might be correct reasons to leave a particular congregation but if someone is going to leave the church over the nature of the church and i don't want to get into specific things but um if you have to change something that's fundamental about the church for them then odds are keeping them around isn't actually true anyways it's not actually reliable it's like keeping those people who um are in the pursuit of evil whenever we're supposed to be in the pursuit of good. The the epistles of John are really, really directed towards this and directed towards who stays and who goes, who's in the spirit of Christ and who's in the spirit of the Antichrist. Yeah. Those who have come and who have said that they were Christian and then left and abandoned the church, it is said that they came in the spirit of the Antichrist. And I think that being so obsessed with those that group of people with trying to attract the Antichrist without transformation, without changing the Antichrist, you actually jeopardize the nature of the church and also all the people who are in pursuit of Christ. Yeah. Amanda? Well, and um, I, I've been uh, digitizing my great-grandfather's um, sermons or some of them, and that's why it's kind of been on my mind. I know I've mentioned it several times, but in also in the sermon where he shares the story about him being shot, it's called the challenge of the cross. And he looks at one verse, which is where Jesus is on the cross and they say, come down off your cross. And so he uses that one verse as the way of talking to people. And he, he, he talks about how, you know, the world really, a lot of cultural changes and technological changes happened in the 1900s and then, you know, coming into the 21st century. And he talks about how there, you know, there's this movement of trying to change culturally with the times. And there's this, this battle that we've all, I think the church has been in since the beginning about, you know, how much do we change of ourselves to fit in the culture we are? And, and I think, again, we have to look like there's some like shallow, like very just like facade kind of things that may need to change. You know, obviously we don't look, we don't dress the way Jesus dressed when he walked in the first century, um, Judea. Um, so those things obviously change, but really, and, and but what we are called to is so much deeper and, and so much uh, more holistic. And that's really, so we're saying worldview, the core of your being, the, the, the foundation on which your whole life is built, uh, the ground of being would be kind of the ancient Hebrew way of describing it. But all those words to say, basically, where do you build yourself up on? And, and so even when all the, the, the shallow and, and fleshy things may change, Ultimately, what is happening, and then that's what I think to, to tie in what, what Pastor Dylan and Anthony were talking about is, is the church is going to go through some changes and may need to evaluate where it is. But ultimately, if our worldview is found in Christ and who Christ is, then regardless of these changes, there's going to be this call to transformation and wholeness. Yeah. Pastor Mike? Well, I think if we uh, want to understand the Christian worldview, we have to really 
see John bringing us back to in the beginning was the word and was you know the reasoning uh, which is Christ Jesus but in that um, we see that in the beginning God is creator and life giver and blessing his creation and so we have to find ourselves not just you know I know John writes that we imitate good not evil but it is more of that image of God I feel like that is our, our purpose and calling of being a people of blessing and sure, I, I believe that, you know, you imitate good, but imi imitation sometimes has that feel for us in this modern day. Um, we hear the word imitation or imitation is not being real. No, God calls us to be the real image and reflect the love and life and blessing into this world. And if we do that, um, then we're doing what God calls us to do. All right. So in closing, the four ways to tell a Christian worldview is one, your truth or the truth. Christian worldview says the truth. When you get to number two, born again or made in your own image. Well, the Christian worldview says no one should be born again, not to remake the world in our image. Number three, aspiring or entitled. The Christian worldview says one should be aspiring towards holiness and Christ-likeness. One is not just entitled to mercy, come at a high price. And number four, pursuing good or pursuing evil. Naturally, things should be pursuing good and to use the epistle of John, imitating that which is good. But as Pastor Mike said, this is really more of a transformation. You're actually doing that. You're not being a phony good, but you're actually trying to model yourself towards that. So that's where we're going to close today. I hope you enjoyed this program. If you would like to send us your thoughts, questions, or comments, we'll do our best to respond to them. And again, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, CastBox, a lot of podcasting places, YouTube, Facebook. And with that, God love you and have a blessed day.